Well, good evening, everyone, and uh, thank you, Stephen. Uh, if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 11? It's a page, if you do want to follow it, page 1042 in the, the Pew Bibles. If you were here last Sunday night, you'll know that we have uh, started this new series on prayer called Conversation and Encounter, which we said is, is one really good definition and description of prayer. Prayer is not only a, a, a dynamic verbal conversation with God. It's this two-way dialogue. We speak to God, and God speaks to us via and, and through His Word primarily. So it's about speaking and listening. But it's not just a, a, prayer is not just a verbal conversations, conversation. It's also a deep personal encounter with a holy majestic, magnificent God who's also our Father. And so you have this awe and intimacy. So conversation and encounter. And one of the main reasons for doing this series, and Stephen mentioned it, is that we find ourselves on day 14 of 40 days of prayer. We started this on the 1st of December. It finishes on the 10th of January. That's not to say we stop praying on the 10th of January, or that we haven't been for the first 11 months of this year. But what we wanted to do was just set aside a kind of concentrated, focused period for prayer. And so I kind of thought that, that during that period, we would explore prayer and, and think about a number of ways that we can approach God in prayer, that we should approach God in prayer. And actually, what we're also going to look at is how we, we, we in, in effect, actually approach God in prayer. So one of the days we're going we're gonna to look at approaching God in anger. Because there are times whenever that's the attitude we approach God in, if we're honest. And we're going to have a look at a character in God's Word who approached God in those terms. But as Stephen said, last Sunday night we started thinking about the need to come to God in adoration. That, that before we ask for anything, or as we ask God for help and for guidance and for direction and for specific things. That as we do that, we must recognize and affirm who God is and consciously choose to express who God is. And therefore, our praying must include worship. And we looked at one of David's prayers last week, Psalm 57, and we observed how David praised God for two key things, his unfailing love and his faithfulness. Plus, David longed, and he repeated this twice in that prayer, Psalm 57, he longed that God would be exalted above everything. But as we noticed last week, that was prayed despite the fact that David's back was against the wall, literally. His life was in grave danger. David was not in a good place when he prayed that prayer. And yet, he maintains an attitude of adoration and praise. And we said that's really, really important for us to kind of take as a model and as an example, that no matter where you're at this evening, and I know some people are here tonight and are in a pretty dark place, but no matter where we are, yes, we cry out to God for mercy. We ask God for help. We ask God to be our shelter and our refuge. But as we do that, we worship. God, you're a God of unfailing love and faithfulness. And I want you to be exalted above everything else. 
pray in adoration. Tonight, and Stephen again has referred to this, I want us to look at praying in expectation or in anticipation. Let me ask you a question. Do you expect God to answer your prayers? Really? Do you expect God to answer your prayers? Do you anticipate that God will answer our prayers during these 40 days? Silence. <laughs> well, if you have a Bible open, let's, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 11 and verses 5 to 13. Now, let me just set the context here. These words come straight after and are actually very much part of Jesus' teaching on how to pray. We know that the disciples had seen Jesus praying. They observed the fact that Jesus did this on a regular basis. They, they noticed how he often retreated to a quiet place to converse with his father. And so one day, the disciples turn around to Jesus and they say, Okay, Jesus, please teach us how to pray. We see you doing it. We watch you doing it. Teach us. And in response to their honest question, Jesus gives them what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And we have, as a church community, looked at that prayer, perfect prayer for imperfect people, on a number of occasions. But tonight, I want us to look at what comes next, the next bit, from verses 5 through to 13. So, as we often do at Windsor, let's stand for the public reading of God's Word. Verse 5, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Grab a seat. Jesus uh, tells a story or, or a parable to help his disciples get it. And we know that Jesus often did that because Jesus knows about the power of story. Plus, Jesus was the ultimate storyteller. But as we kind of engage with the details of this, whatever we do, do not forget that Jesus is telling this story to teach about prayer. And as always, what Jesus does is he immediately grabs his listeners' attention. That's how this starts. 
Because his disciples would have instantly, as they heard Jesus begin this, they would have instantly connected with it. Because not being able to give a friend who has just dropped by something to eat in a culture where hospitality was so important. Well, if you weren't able to give a friend on a journey something to eat who had just dropped by your house, that would have been highly embarrassing. And so the natural thing to do would have been run out of your front door and gone to a friend's house, probably a neighbor's house, and asked him for some supplies. No 24-hour Tesco's. But the slight twist in the story is that it's late. Jesus says it's midnight. And again, I know in, in, in our cult, that's not that late for some of you, okay? But in that... In, in that culture, that was really late. It's not exactly a convenient time, given that the likelihood is your friend's in bed. And as it turns out, as Jesus tells the story, that's exactly what's happened. Your friend's in bed. And in a society, and again, we, we need to understand that in a society where households were much bigger than we, we live in, and where lots of people shared space, one person having to get up would have meant most people having to get up. And so at one level, Jesus says, you can understand your friend's reluctance to wake the whole house and bail you out. Then Jesus says this. And many people believe or assume that here's the key line. Verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, I want us to pause here. Now, remember, Jesus is teaching about prayer. But one of the obvious conclusions that people reach based on this verse and based on what follows is that when it comes to praying, you've got to do what? Persist, okay? You've got to keep going. You've got to keep at it. That's what most people believe is the primary teaching of this parable. And the key phrase in that understanding is this phrase and includes these two words, shameless audacity, or however it's translated in, in the version you've got on your knee. Some translations will say, like the New Living Translation will say, because of your shameless persistence, or if you're using a King James Version, or an ESV, or an RSV, it'll say, because of his importunity. I had to look that word up, okay? But that just, what does, those of you who know, what does importunity mean? It just means persistence. Okay? Or if you use a contemporary English version, it says, because you're not ashamed to keep on asking. Now, I am not about to say there is kind of no substance to that understanding of this parable. Persevering in prayer is clearly a biblical principle and value. We need to keep on praying and praying for long periods of time about certain issues. But I think when it comes to this parable, we've got to be very careful here. 
Because if you, see, if you just solely take that perspective, it could come across that in order to get through to God, you need to have a bit of a brass neck. That we need to be somehow in God's face, that we need to badger him, that we need to hound him. That if we shout loud enough, if we refuse to back down, if we refuse to walk away, well, then God will eventually give in. And the reason that I'm, I'm really nervous with this kind of perspective that says this is about persistent prayer is because of the start of that verse. I tell you, even though he, that's your friend, will not get up and give you bread because of friendship. Now, I know our friends can let us down. Friends can disappoint. Friends can have off days. We can catch friends on an off moment. And then we kind of have to push a little bit. We have to up the ante. But surely God's friendship's different, is it not? Surely God's friendship is different. God is consistent. God doesn't have off days. God doesn't get caught on the hop. God is a constant friend who amazingly responds to us. Not simply because we haven't backed down or given up. And therefore, for me, this, this story is more about expectant prayer than it is about persistent prayer. Now, please feel free to challenge me on this afterwards, okay? Now, I'm not undermining, as I've said, the place of persevering prayer, but I'm, I actually don't believe that is the main thrust behind this parable as Jesus teaches his disciples at this point in time. And so you kind of need to read on. I don't think you can just lift verse 8 and make a case for it. So you need to read on. So verse 9 and 10 says this. So I say to you, says Jesus, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Now again, I, I do realize, and we've looked at these verses before, and if you were part of the World Changer series here on a Sunday morning as we worked through the Sermon on the Mount, these verses feature in Matthew's gospel as well. And we, so we've dealt with this before. And I did talk in that, in that context about the need to, to keep on asking and to keep on seeking and to keep on knocking in prayer. And so I'm not here tonight suggesting that we should ever stop praying, that we only ask, seek, and knock once and then leave it at that. that that's not what I'm saying. But I believe that these two verses immediately after verse 8 are meant to portray a vivid contrast. And this is what I want us to kind of take away from tonight. That they're meant to make the point that when it comes to praying, God is not like your reluctant neighbor. God doesn't sleep. God doesn't sleep or slumber, it says in Psalm 121. God doesn't need us to keep on at him until we wear him down. Ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be opened. In other words, you can and you should pray expectantly and in anticipation. Yes, we should ask with boldness. Yes, 
we should seek with diligence. Yes, we should knock with enthusiasm, but not because God's playing games or holding back until we shout loud enough, seek for long enough, or bang the door loud enough. If the only lesson or the primary lesson we take from this parable is the need to persist in prayer, then I honestly believe there's a real danger in suggesting or drawing a comparison between God and the resistant neighbor. A neighbor who needed to be pestered into getting out of bed because of your shameless audacity, not because of friendship. And I... And I I'm uncomfortable with this idea of saying God is like that. It's not a picture of God, an understanding of God I find in Scripture. God is our generous Father who, look at verse 13, loves to give good gifts to His children. He simply loves to give and reveal and open. God freely gives and willingly gives. And as Jesus paints this amazing word picture and contrasts God, their father, with this reluctant neighbor, who he encourages his disciples to talk to and pray to, he, makes all, he also goes on to make the point that, listen, God doesn't tantalize us by holding out false hopes. God, is not, God isn't trying to mess with our heads when it comes to prayer. He's not trying to trick us. He's not like, nothing like a vindictive father who when asked for a fish or an egg decides, do you know something, it might be a good idea to hand out something rather nasty and harmful and pretty disturbing. God's not like that. God loves to give good gifts to his kids. Loves to give, loves to reveal, loves to open. And so I honestly believe we always should be praying with a sense of expectation and anticipation, which I hope is what we're doing during these 40 days. Now, I know what the natural kind of thing to go from here to with this is. Does that mean that whatever we ask for, that we'll get it? And that we'll get it sooner rather than later? Because that, that, David, that seems to be like the logical conclusion of where you're taking us. Well, let me tease this out because, I don't know, let me ask another question. Is that your experience with prayer? That you ask for something, you search for answers, and you knock on doors and they just swing wide open. You immediately find what you're looking for. And you get every single time. Is that your experience? It's not mine. So as we tease this out a little bit more, one of the critical issues then seems to be, what are we actually praying for? Does does that matter when it comes to this issue? Because you see, all kinds of of skewed and unhelpful thinking flow from a blank sheet approach to prayer that implies All you need to do is ask, and you'll get whatever you want. Search for whatever you want, you'll find it. Knock, and doors will be open to whatever you want. 
And based on Luke 11, 9, and 10, some people argue for that. You'll get it. You'll find it. No, no exceptions. And if there are any exceptions to that, then you've got a problem. The problem's with you. Or, for example, your faith is not good enough. And so verse 13 is critical as we look at this. And I cannot stress this strongly enough. And this has really kind of been challenging me this week. Because almost as a kind of punchline to the parable, or a key thought as Jesus wraps up his storytelling, he adds this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, hang on a wee minute. There hasn't been a mention of a reference to the Holy Spirit at the start of this chapter. Right from verse 1, right through to verse 12, no mention of the Holy Spirit, yet here it is here. But it seems that as Jesus winds up this little section, that one of the most important things and gifts that we can pray for and must constantly pray for is the Holy Spirit. And that when we ask for Him, when we seek after God the Holy Spirit, when we knock in order to get access to God the Holy Spirit, that doors will open, that we will receive, that we will find. And therefore, says God, pray expectantly because we have a Father in heaven who delights to give us this unique life-altering gift. Now again, I really got to be careful here because there is a sense of paradox. But as Christians, and remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. Jesus is teaching Christians. But as Christians, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit from day one of new birth. We believe that as explicit biblical teaching. From the moment we start following Jesus, God, by his Holy Spirit, comes to dwell within us. But alongside that, we need to hold in tension this need for us to go on, again, explicit biblical, to go on being filled with God the Holy Spirit. We need to continue to give ourselves over to his occupancy in our lives. We need to go on submitting and surrendering to his work and his activity in our lives. And what is that activity in our lives? To make us more and more like Jesus, to form us, to conform us, to transform us into the image and into the likeness of Christ. So as Jesus speaks to his disciples here, he says, your father in heaven delights to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And he's talking to Christians here. But we've got the Holy Spirit. Yes, but you need to keep on asking. And so we need to pray for that and never stop, never let up. You see, I, the way I look at this is, as, as you look at the Lord's Prayer, if we are going to honor God's name, if we are going to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, if we are going to be able to forgive those who sin against us, if we are going to be able to walk away from temptation, if we are going to be able to avoid the traps and the pitfalls of the evil one, all those things that God, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for, if we are going to continue this, if we're going to bear fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, all those characteristics, 
then we need to pray and pray expectantly that when we ask for the Holy Spirit and more of the Holy Spirit, God will answer. We will receive. We will find. That door will keep swinging wider and wider open to us. And so the question is, are we asking, am I praying for this on a regular, day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis? Father, a Father who knows how to give good gifts to his children, I'm asking you, I'm seeking after, I'm knocking, because I need more of your Holy Spirit in my life in order to live this life and to follow Jesus. And as I get to the end of this, I want to take you to a kind of another specific moment whenever Jesus says something along the same lines. And it comes right at the end of his life, and it's the night before his crucifixion, and he's washed his disciples' feet, and he's telling them on this occasion what life's going to be like once he's gone. And in John 15, verse 7, the words are on the screen. It says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. And so there's an issue there about obedience. Ask for whatever you wish, says Jesus, and it'll be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now that phrase, ask for whatever you wish and it will be given to you, is is astounding. And again, 10 words that can be lifted out of context to justify the practice of asking God for anything and expecting to get it. And then throwing the head up when you don't. But notice why we should ask. When you're asking God for something, for anything, here's why you should ask, says Jesus, that you'll bear much fruit. And as Chris Ty Green writes, in the context of our relationship with Jesus, we can ask for anything in his name for bearing fruit and glory and expect him to answer it. Is that what you are praying for? God, it is my desire to bear fruit, to reflect love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, which we have looked at. And who is the source of the fruit production in our lives? The Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. And so as we link that to Luke 11, Jesus said, listen, go ask, seek, knock after having more of God's Holy Spirit in your life because God, as a loving father, loves to give good gifts to his kids and gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him so that they can become more and more like Jesus. And so my advice, my encouragement to us this evening is this. As we come to pray, Pray in expectation and anticipation. Pray to a father who doesn't play games with us. Pray to a father who loves to answer and reveal and open doors. But one of the core features of our praying needs to be an earnest and frequent desire for more of God's Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can produce more fruit. And as the the verse in John 15 says, so that people will know we are disciples. 
Jesus Christ. So let's pray for that. Ask for that. Seek after that. Knock to gain further access into that. And just before I hand back to Stephen, just to lead us in our final song, as we come to the end of a service, I know sometimes like we, we sing a song and it closes and, and then get a chance to look at the stall. There's a choir practice at half eight and we start talking to each other. But sometimes it is just good to create a bit of space and just a moment. And so I want to do that and I want to give you an opportunity to pray and to pray in expectation and in anticipation and to ask God, your Father who loves to give his kids good gifts, that he would give you more of the Holy Spirit in your life, that you would go on being filled. You have got the Holy Spirit in your life if you're a child of God, but that you would go on being filled so that you can go on being formed and conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus so that you can bear fruit, so that you can show yourself to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in the world in which we live. So let's take a moment of quietness where you have an opportunity to respond and to pray in expectation. Awesome and great God, our Father. We thank thee that you're not like the reluctant neighbor and friend in the story Jesus told his disciples. But God, we don't need to badger you and hound you. We don't need shameless audacity when it comes to praying. You are a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And so we ask and we seek and we knock knowing that you will respond and therefore we can pray expectantly. But God, I pray for each one of us who follow Jesus who have been born again of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God lives within us. I pray that you would help us to keep asking and keep seeking after and keep knocking to get access to more and more of the Holy Spirit in our lives in order that we would produce the fruit of that Spirit, those characteristics of Christ that show us to be his disciples, that bring glory to you. And so I pray for each person who in these quiet moments has asked you for more. That they would receive. They would find. They would discover a new space. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.